Welcome to the second session of the Didache Divine Service. A couple of brief announcements at the beginning. Remember, there are two handouts when you come. The white handout is for you to take home. If you misplaced one from a previous week, let us know. We'll provide you with another one. Um, I didn't realize until after these were printed that I had Thursday at the top. That carry over from last year. It is Wednesday, and uh, it's been corrected in, in subsequent ones. And then the peach uh, card, it's in cardstock. Turn that in, we reuse that, since it has the liturgy for Holy Communion on it. So take the white ones home, keep the peach. I'm preparing the white ones because I know that there may be members that are here some weeks and not here others. It follows, our Didache lessons will follow material in Lutheran Catechesis, Catechumen Edition. If you have your copies and want to make use of it at home, you are welcome and encouraged to do so. But I will always have everything that you need on the white sheet, which means also if you wish to use your own Bible to make notes in your Bible, you certainly can do that, even though I will have the primary text on the white sheet. So it's simply for convenience sake that I am doing that. Let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, whose compassion never fails, and who invites us to call upon you in prayer, Hear the heartfelt confession of our sins and receive our humble supplication for your mercy. Spare us from the just punishment of sin which our Lord Jesus Christ has borne for us and enable us to serve you in holiness and purity of life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We begin with the hymn.
On your white sheet, you have before you the Ten Commandments, which were also printed last week, and which, during these sessions on the Ten Commandments and leading into the Creed, we shall repeat each week for meditation and devotion and to encourage learning by heart the Ten Commandments. If, however, some of you come from a time in which you learn by heart, thou shalt have no other gods before me, you are more than welcome to hold on to that text. This is the text officially a part of our catechesis instruction. So we begin at point three. The Ten Commandments preach repentance. They show us our sin and how much we need a Savior. Everyone? You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, what does God's word say about his law? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Tonight, we will especially move on to the second table of the law. The second table of the law in the Ten Commandments begins with the fourth commandment and takes us through to the tenth commandment. But before doing that, let us remember where we were last week. The first table of the law describes our relationship to God. It takes in the first, second, and third commandments. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In those three commandments, we cast them in our discussion last week with three positive kind of brief statements from our Lord. What is he asking us, the triune God? First commandment. Do you remember? When he says you shall have no other gods, he's asking us, he's saying to us, do you remember? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I've created you. I've made you. Trust me. Second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, where we are to call upon him in every trouble. You boil that down. Do you remember what he is saying to us? Positively from last week. Pray. Pray to me. So first commandment, trust me. Second commandment, pray to me. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. What is he saying there positively? Remember me. Hear me. Hear me. 
hear me, and not just remember. When we say remember the Sabbath day, literally, I also put in parentheses that the text from the Old Testament better rendered sanctify the holy day. God's word sanctifies the holy day. So I want you to retain that. First commandment, trust me, he's saying. Second commandment, pray to me. Third commandment, hear me, listen to me. Because out of listening comes faith to trust. And out of the faith that trusts, we learn to pray. We learn to call upon God. I used an analogy of children. Children, through the words and works of their parents, learn to trust mommy and daddy. Because they trust mommy and daddy, they call upon mommy and daddy for help. That's what prayer is. So they hear. Out of the hearing, they trust. Out of the trust, they pray. That same pattern is true for us as baptized children, defined by the first three commandments, the first table of the law. So retain that. Trust me. Pray to me. Hear me. In the Old Testament, and Jesus also reinforces it in the New Testament, that first table of the law that describes our relationship to God is also summarized in one commandment, which is called the greatest commandment. Do you remember how it is? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The totality of one's being, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do any of us do that 24-7? No. In fact, even when we love God, it's never with our whole heart our loves are divided. That's because we are sinners. St. Paul said, I reminded you of this last week, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. So we study the Ten Commandments because they express what is good and what is right and what it means to love God. And as Christians, we want to love God. But because of sin, the law is always accusing us. And that's why I drew, drew your attention to the banner on the wall, Christ fulfills the law. We'll be talking more about that today, even as we explore the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments. In the end, the wonderful morality and ethics that are included there, they find their fulfillment in Christ, who alone honors his father and mother, who alone preserves the sanctity of life, you shall not murder, the sanctity of marriage and what it is to be chaste and pure, sixth commandment, who rightly uses property under the seventh commandment and who speaks for the upbuilding of the good name and reputation of others under the eighth commandment. So we'll talk about that. So the first table of the law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How did Jesus... Love God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. What did he do? He went to the cross. And in so doing, remember our three expressions, trust me, pray to me, hear me. He went to the cross, even though it meant the bitterest suffering and death as the wrath of God, the judgment of the law, excuse me, <clears throat> was poured out upon him. 
He went to the cross with absolute confidence in his father. He trusted in his father, even though he experiences the blackness of separation from God and death. That's real suffering. And from the cross, he prays. And that prayer began in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. Notice how the prayer corresponds with the trust of the heart. And all of that was so because he did not live by bread alone. He lived by every word that proceeded out of the Father's mouth. See how the the three commandments orbit around what Jesus did And he fulfilled the law. He did what we failed to do, what Adam failed to do. None of us can save ourselves by our own works. However, where there's faith in Christ for forgiveness, because he has died for our sins, he's taken the punishment that we deserve. And in Jesus, there's forgiveness. Out of that faith, which is a living trust of the heart, remember how I said last week toward the end, the the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, his forgiving grace, the gospel gives and creates what the law demands. So when the law says, trust me, it's the gospel, it's God's love proclaimed in Christ's forgiveness that creates the trust that the law speaks about. It's wonderful. So out of that trust of the heart, Christians who believe in Jesus as their Savior and their only Savior love God's law and believe God's law is good and want to follow God's law even though we're in this catch-22 situation. Paul says, the good that I would do as a Christian, my new will, I don't do. That which I would not do as a Christian, the very thing that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. So we still feel our wretchedness. I talked last week about poor, miserable sinner, a a state of being. But our faith turns outside of ourselves to Christ, who has fulfilled the law for us and in whom there is freedom. All right. The second table of the law, fourth through the tenth commandment, describes our relationship to one another. And... The greatest commandment that summarizes the first table of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second table is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that expression, love your neighbor as yourself, needs a little bit more fleshing out. What it really means is love your neighbor in place of yourself. Now let's keep on the theme as we move into the fourth through the eighth commandments today of Jesus fulfilling the law, I asked you, you know, how did he love his father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Bill said he went to the cross. That's also how he loved us in place of himself. So his love for the father above all things, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, is that which moves him to love us enough to die for our sins upon the cross. And all of the positive things that we will see in Martin Luther's lovely explanations to the Ten Commandments tonight are really wonderful descriptions of Jesus. And we who believe in Jesus and trust in him for forgiveness also pray to be transformed into what he is and to do what he does to, as, as the law describes it. Okay. 
So I take you then to the fourth commandment. And I'm, after we discuss each commandment, I'm going to offer prayer so you can see how what we learn from God's word and from the Ten Commandments can then be used in prayer. So it'll follow along the same theme, trust me, pray to me, hear me, from last week. And these prayers are from the Catechism prayer book. And the more you know the language of the Catechism, the more the language of these will be familiar to you. We have these available, and you're welcome to uh, receive them. So I ask you, first, what is the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching, parents, and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Oh, my, forgive me here. I failed to put the proper text in there. Uh, my mother is in the hospital. She's doing fine. She's getting out, and I thought I had this correctly prepared before I left for the hospital this afternoon. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. In the second table of the law, God wishes to protect his good gifts and in the second table of the law, there is also a hierarchy to the commandments. In other words, a kind of priority and a relationship. So the first question I have for you, what does God wish to protect of his good gifts with the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. This is perhaps the most difficult to immediately have an answer to, but I want you to think about it, and I invite you to offer some responses. Sherry? Uh, honor your father. The institution of marriage, uh, it's related here, absolutely, because father and mother are to be married. Okay, So that's related and part of the hierarchy of human relationships that God wishes to protect. That's, that's very good. Um, and then the sixth commandment, we'll see, you shall not commit adultery, you'll especially see that. Good. Can you, uh, any other thoughts on, which, on that which God wishes to protect with this commandment? Family. Uh, family. Okay, so you've got marriage, family, which are, according to Christian theology from the Bible, the very building blocks of society. And I'm going to comment on that in a minute. minute. Sure. Dominion and authority. Good. Now, all of these things come together. God's dominion in the world, his authority, marriage, family, you know, the, that expression, the nuclear family. We will be looking under the first article of the creed, creation, where the Holy Trinity, who gave us the Ten Commandments, we confess in the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, it says, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, 
So God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the creation. Now, notice how the themes of these first several commandments are all behind those words of what God wishes to protect. We're created male and female. That's what it is to be a human being. Uh, that being male or female is not our choice. It's God's choice in creation, and it is determined by our biological identity, contrary to what the world is, is, is saying today. So let us make man in our image and let them have dominion and let them be fruitful and multiply. And so God made us male and female. So in the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, God wishes to protect all of that, the institution of marriage, family, and the authority that he has invested in those relationships. Okay? There's a relationship between a husband and a wife and that relationship, by saying, honor your father and your mother, we live in a world that doesn't see marriage as chiefly about children and the giving and receiving of love and life. But that's what, how God created us. So to be open to the gift of children is what it is to be human made in the image of God, male and female, and brought together in marriage. So it is not coincidental then that the very first commandment in the second table of the law talks about fathers and mothers. By talking about fathers and mothers, it's talking about being male and female as we were created to be. It is talking about being fruitful and multiplying as we were created to be. And father and mother, honor your father and your mother. It's talking about the dominion that God has built into the creation. So, as marriage and family go in this world, so goes the society and culture. You follow? In other words, where there are two parents, a father and a mother, who love each other and have children and where children honor and respect their parents, is there much of a problem with stealing in such, a, in such a situation? No. Murder. No. Lying. Cheating. Okay. So the more intact the family unit is, the better it is for society and culture. The less intact the family unit is, the more of a degradation there is in the society and culture. So Martin Luther said under the large catechism explanation, out of the authority of father and mother, all earthly authority is derived and developed. And that's why in a school, for example, teachers are in the place of parents, the Latin in personae, you know, in loco parentis, excuse me, in, in place of the parents. So an extension of parental authority. Okay, so honor your father and your mother. We should fear and love God so that we do not dis, uh, 
despise or anger our parents and other authorities, and other authorities. So governmental authorities, we're called to honor them and to respect them. It doesn't mean we agree with all governmental authority, but we are to honor and respect. Under the fourth commandment, there is also extended to, um, to those who have authority, a father and a mother, or a civil ruler, what is called a public trust, a responsibility. So just because I am a father does not give me the right to abuse my children. So the right use of authority is implied here under the fourth commandment as well. And we could look at passages of scripture for that. Any questions about the fourth commandment? Did Jesus honor Mary and Joseph? Did he honor Pontius Pilate? Yeah, he stood before Pontius Pilate and he made the good confession, but he did so with respect. He even did the same thing for the high priest in the Sanhedrin. Larry? A point you've made before is that honoring father and mother is not dependent upon their worthiness. Thank you. Honoring father and mother is not dependent upon their worthiness. It rests upon the commandment. So thank God, you boys and you young lady, God has given you a father and a mother you can honor for the sake of the commandment. And you could say, uh, Luther makes this statement, if I had no father and mother, then I should be happy if God may be a block of wood or stone that I could honor for the sake of the commandment. So it is not on the basis of the worthiness of your dad that you honor him, but because God has given him to you, you have received life from him, and God stands behind him. What an awesome public trust and responsibility then is extended to him. But notice, when we talk about salvation by grace, Larry could say, what have I done to deserve these children? Nothing. They are gifts of life given to you and to Tammy, not on the basis of your sinlessness or worthiness, but on the basis of God's gift. And the commandment, honor your father and your mother, underscores that. So you are given the privilege to honor them, not because they have no sin, but because of God's word, God's command. All right, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the fourth commandment, you teach us that our parents are your gifts to us. Through them, you gave us life, and through them, you care for us and provide for us with all that we need. Thank you for our father and mother. Forgive them when they sin and strengthen them with your grace to be faithful parents. Forgive us for every sin of disobedience, disrespect, and dishonor shown to our parents and all those in authority over us. By your grace, help us truly to honor our parents, especially when they fail, and to always serve and obey, love and cherish them, according to your word and for Jesus' sake. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, to the fifth commandment. What is the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear, love God, 
so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Okay, we got that one right. Um, notice how in the explanations to the commandments, something pointed out last week, all of them rest on the first commandment, we should fear and love God. Each of them have a negative, what we are not to do, and then a positive, what we are to do. What gift does God wish to protect, particularly with this fifth commandment? Life, the sanctity of life. And as we just observed, we see how life and marriage and family all flow out of the fourth commandment. That's that hierarchy that I was talking about. So the, the sanctity of marriage and family and of parental authority is even greater than that of life itself because life itself cannot be sustained apart from the gift of marriage and family and the parental life that God has charged to protect it. Okay. So here in the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. God wishes to protect human life so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So I asked you at the beginning to observe throughout our brief meditation on these commandments tonight what love looks like. Okay? Under the fourth commandment, love looks like honor and obedience and love and cherishing of parents. Here under the fifth commandment, love looks like helping and supporting our neighbor in his physical needs. Okay? So where one considers another better than self, one of the things I have grown to appreciate in more recent years about the Ten Commandments explanations is how earthy they are. You know, our bodies are important, even though the world and this whole woke thing that's going on and this gender dysphoria, which is mental illness being put forth as mental health where you can choose and change your gender disenfranchises or disconnects, if you will, the person of a human individual from their physicality, which includes their biology and so forth. We are men and women, not only physically, but also in the way that we think, but we have no interaction with each other, do we, apart from the physical person, okay? And, and so the whole medical profession is to care for the health of the body, but not the body alone. There's an interfacing of body with soul and spirit. But the concrete nat nature of this, the Son of God was conceived and became man. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suckled at her breast. Fourth commandment, fifth commandment, he was given the gift of human life. And Mary was called upon to sacrifice her rights, wasn't she? To care for first her unborn child, and then after he was born, to care for him. And every mother has such a calling to sacrifice herself in love. It's fundamentally good and right, and the fifth commandment 
articulates that. In the case of Mary, who is called upon to sacrifice herself in love for the care of her child, it was a particularly difficult task because he was the object of the world's hatred before he was even born. And then soon after birth, Herod the Great tries to kill him by slaughtering all of these children in Bethlehem and surrounding districts. They have to escape to Egypt. So you see what love is in the Son of God becoming flesh in order to redeem us in the flesh. And you also see in the Virgin Mary what faith in Christ and the love of God looks like. I submit to you that Mary should be the icon for women. In other words, you look at the Virgin Mary and then you see what love looks like for a woman. How she gives of herself as as all mothers are called to. I mean, they, they suckle their children at their breasts. Okay? Mary was called to do that and to make all of the other sacrifices of love for the preservation of life. So when we talk about the goodness of God's law in protecting of human life, all of this we should always connect back to Jesus. Because we live in a world in which there's abortion on demand. In various states of our country, you can murder your unborn child up to the moment of birth. What a horror. That's no different than Nazi Germany and the fascism of slaughtering the Jews and the gypsies and others who didn't, who didn't toe the line. Okay. Abortion on demand, euthanasia. It's the church that has run hospitals. It's the church that started orphanages. It's the church that has provided for those broken relationships where children have had no one to care for them. It's the church that's there for the widows who have lost their husbands. All of that you can see under here, help and support him in every physical need. Love your neighbor as yourself. Questions about the fifth commandment. We're not going to exhaust all of these commandments tonight because I have a text from the Sermon on the Mount that we need to go to, but I always want to entertain any comment or question you might have. John? Okay. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the fifth commandment, you teach us that the gift of life is sacred and holy and that it is to be protected from every form of murder. By the gift of your only begotten Son, you saved us from death and restored life with you. We give thanks to you for this gift and for our new life in Christ. Forgive us for every form of murder, for hatred, resentment, and refusing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Grant us your grace and mercy that we might let go of all grudges, sincerely forgive our enemies, and truly help and support our neighbor in every physical need. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And in the reading, I'll talk a little bit more about the fifth commandment with respect to hatred. Moving on, what is the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. 
The sixth commandment explanation is the one explanation in the second table of the law that is expressed without a negative and entirely in the positive. We should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste or sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. And there's a reason for that. At the time of the Reformation, coming out of medieval uh, theology, monastic life, forced celibacy, that was seen as the holy life, whereas the earthly life of being married and the domestic life of family and raising children was not on the same par as the ordered life of the monastery and, and, and uh, the forced celibacy. So what, what Luther was trying to extol here is, look, God instituted marriage. God instituted family. The first commands came before the fall into sin. Be fruitful and multiply. That is holy work, you see. Exercise dominion, that is holy work, and it's done in marriage and family. And the greatest gift for marriage outside of salvation from Christ is the gift of children. So what, what Luther does in his explanation here is hold up the gift of human sexuality in marriage as a wonderful gift, a sacred gift for the giving and receiving of love. I do prefer the old translation of the German instead of sexually pure, chaste. Chaste and decent life in word and deed and husband and wife love and honor each other. Because chastity is a wonderful word. It, it extols the virtue of a love that is not for the purpose of self-gratification, but a love that gratifies, that's gratifying when it gives of itself to another. You follow? We live in a world in which sex is a commodity. You know? And one's personal needs, personal pleasures, personal satisfaction, that trumps every other concern. Notice that about the sinful condition since the fall. Mankind, apart from faith in Christ, is always self-centered, always self-motivated. What's in it for me? Are you pleasing me? Are you satisfying me? It's always bent in and introverted. That's what any faith that is not faith in the Lord Jesus and in the love of God in Christ's sacrifice, that's what any other faith turns into. It's bent in upon itself. Okay? The greatest joy in marriage is not the pleasure I receive as a husband, but the giving of my love and life sacrificially to my wife. Okay? To be masculine is to give to one's wife. To be feminine in marriage is to receive that love and to be protected by it and comforted by it and rejoice in it. So any kind of coercion, any kind of um, dictatorial, self-centered, me-first thing associated with the relationship is contrary 
to what it means to be made in the image of the triune God of self-giving, sacrificial love. There's lots that could be talked about under this commandment, from the scourge of pornography, which wars against the soul, destroys faith, uh, to all manner of promiscuity. It's an unfortunate thing uh, where in pop culture, the only people that seem to have a wonderful physical relationship are found outside of marriage. Marriages are held up in movies and in television as the one place where you'll never be happy. There'll always be strife. But doing your own thing, making your own way outside of God's order and design, that's what society and culture today says is the source of fulfillment, and it's not. Okay. So as Christians, we look to the Holy Family. What a model in Mary and Joseph. Joseph did not know Mary for the entire time that they were married and she was pregnant with Jesus. He did not know her until after he was born. So he abstained from fulfilling his needs, so to speak. And then in the Holy Family, the sacrifices they both make in support of each other, as we said earlier, and for the child that God gave them. And it was seen as a holy work. Any comments or questions on the sixth commandment? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage. Where you join together a man and a woman in love for each other, and when it is your will to become a father and mother. Strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we lead a pure and decent life in what we say and do, and grow to be faithful husbands and wives who love and honor our spouses. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What is the seventh commandment? You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So you notice how it begins to blossom out from the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandment, now to the gift of personal property that God wishes to protect. So we've got under the fourth commandment, uh, marriage, family, uh, God's authority in the home, the sanctity of life under the fifth commandment, the sanctity of marriage and the gift of human sexuality under the sixth, and now the personal property that he has given us, which he has given to us that we might serve our neighbor. And of course, that means that husbands and wives serve their family, as well as their extended family, and their neighbor across the street. So under the seventh commandment, we are called to be faithful stewards of the property, the money, the income, the possessions, the livelihood that we have been given for the benefit of others. And that means you are a worker if you are employed someplace, not only for your own you know, enrichment, but for the enrichment of two others. You know, how you are paid and use the 
temporal wherewithal that you have in service to others, but also for your employer. So believe it or not, your employer is someone that God has given you to serve, to do a good job in the workplace so that his business is successful and he can more easily do the work that God has given him of providing for his, his clientele and so forth. So under the seventh commandment, we are not to take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. For the sake of time, we shall move on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins of stealing and strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And finally for tonight, in our brief survey, what is the Eighth Commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. What is it that Jesus wishes to protect under the Eighth Commandment? one's reputation, one's good name. When we gossip, when we slander, gossip is especially telling things that may absolutely be true, but it's not given to you to speak about it. Slander is like gossip with an edge, where you choose your words deliberately to inflict harm on another person's reputation, or to use your words to somehow or other stand in judgment over them where you've not been given that office or right to do it. Parents have a certain responsibility to teach their children by making certain judgments about the people they should associate with and the people that they should not associate with. And so there is that responsibility. However, under the Eighth Commandment, you look at the positive. Defend one's neighbor. Speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way. And I'd like to go back to a Fourth Commandment question or comment that Larry brought up, that honor of the Fourth Commandment of him as a father or anyone is not dependent upon whether or not you're particularly worthy of it, but it's dependent upon the command of God. We have the tendency to think that if if Tom isn't worthy of good words spoken about him because he's not a very nice guy, then that gives us the license to say whatever we want about him because after all, he's not a nice guy. He doesn't deserve kind words. So no one deserves kind words as sinners. We're all sinners. We're all cut from the same cloth. So this eighth commandment for us as Christians is really rooted in how God speaks well of us in Christ's words of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I mean, think about Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't deserve that forgiveness, 
But he prayed for their forgiveness. Look at how he put the best construction on, or explained it in the kindest way. They know not what they do. Oh, many of them knew what they did. But Jesus reinterprets it. And he not only reinterprets it, but he says, I have come for them to die for them, and my words of life are for them. So God wishes not only to protect one's good name and reputation with this Eighth Commandment, but he enjoins upon us as Christians who live by faith in the word of the gospel of Christ to use our words to edify and to build up, not because they deserve it, but because of Christ's love. Again, I need to take us into the reading, so let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins of giving false testimony against our neighbor and strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything about him in the kindest way. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And under number four, the Bible reading is from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's excerpts from chapter five. The verses are indicated to you in the text of the outline. These are the words of Jesus. He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And I want you to think about our discussion from last week and this week. The law of love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's contained in the law and in the prophets of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets is a designation for the totality of the Old Testament scriptures. I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So if we want to know what love for God and love for the neighbor is, it's found in Jesus. He goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, if you think a jot and a tittle, the smallest strokes in the Greek, or you could go also talk about Hebrew alphabet, all will be fulfilled. Can you fulfill every requirement of the law perfectly? 24-7, love for God, love for the neighbor, down through the list of Ten Commandments. You can't. See, I say the law always accuses us. It's always showing us our sin. Even the, most, even the most noble person, even a Mother Teresa, still is a sinner according to the judgment of the law. There is only one who fulfills the law and the prophets, the totality of the Scripture's demands, and that's Christ. That's why we are Christians. We follow him who has fulfilled the law for us in his suffering and death upon the cross. The text goes on. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so. Anytime you break a commandment, like Larry, you know this, right? Anytime you sin, you're teaching your children how to sin. It's one of the things that for us as, as fathers has caused us the pangs of guilt, because by our failings, we teach our children how to sin. So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
has no standing. That's what least means. You have no standing in God's kingdom if you break the smallest of God's commandments. Well, then who can be saved? I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds or is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were thought to be the most righteous people who ever lived. But you've got to have a righteousness that's greater than theirs? There's only one whose righteousness is greater than theirs. Who is that? Christ. Because only in him do we have the sinless man who loves perfectly. How do we receive that righteousness? Through faith, Tom. It's a gift of faith. Repentance means at its heart, Lord, I cannot save myself. I renounce any reliance upon myself. Christ is my Savior. So repentance turns us from trusting in ourselves to trusting in Christ. And we receive Christ's righteousness. Think about this. Everything that Jesus did in fulfilling the law and the prophets, he did for you. Christ fulfills the law for us. That's the righteousness that saves us. It's not the righteousness of the saints. It's not the works of the church. It's not how much money we put in the offering plate. Because so many times, those good things that we do, we do for ulterior motives. What kind of benefit is going to accrue to us? More about that next week. Christ has died for us, and his righteousness is a perfect righteousness. It is the righteousness that forgives sin and covers all our sin, and it is received by faith. Now, in the next three short paragraphs, he picks up on several of the commandments we looked at tonight. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. There's the fifth commandment. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now, I could say, I have never killed a person. But then he says, whoever is angry is in danger of the judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I have never committed the act of adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard that it was said, you shall not swear falsely. Eighth commandment. I say to you, whoever, but I say, but shall perform your oaths. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. I mean, that means we are to be truth always. And we are to be truth always, never lying, deceiving, coloring things for our own benefit, and always using our words of truth for the building up of others. I mean, according to this kind of demand of the law, who is not a murderer? Who is not an adulterer? Who is not a liar, a false witness? No wonder, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill, and I did that because you can't fulfill it. And we see his love for his Father and his love for us in place of himself. He doesn't die on the cross for his own benefit. He dies on the cross for your benefit, for mine, for the whole world's. And he dies even for those who will never believe in him. 
So great is his love. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That seems no more than right, huh? We've got a lot of that in the world today that is not Christian. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Who did that? Christ. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That is our heritage as baptized Christians. So we do those things to the extent that we are able only by faith in Christ and certainly not to earn our own salvation because we're still sinners. Every day of our lives, we live by faith in his righteousness and not our own. The perfection that Jesus speaks about, you shall be perfect, is what I shall speak to you in a moment when we confess our sins and I say to you, I forgive you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That means that the totality of Christ's righteousness and perfection completely covers you. And that's the only source of real comfort and certainty for salvation. Let us prepare for the sacrament with hymn 581, stanzas 1, 11, and 12. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord.
O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you invite all who are burdened with sin to come to you for rest. We now come at your invitation to the heavenly feast which you have provided for your children on earth. Preserve us from impenitence and unbelief, cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and clothe us with the righteousness purchased with your blood. Strengthen our faith, increase our love and hope, and assure us a place at your heavenly table where we will eat eternal manna and drink of the river of your pleasure forever and ever. Hear us, Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world. Grant us thy peace. Amen. body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you body and soul in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace.
Blessed Savior Jesus Christ, you have given yourself to us in this holy sacrament. Keep us in your faith and favor that we may live in you even as you live in us. May your body and blood preserve us in the true faith to life everlasting. Hear us for your name's sake, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.